Uh, if we haven't met, I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, whether you're here in person, whether you're watching online, thank you guys uh, for being here with us today. Um, we're continuing our series this week entitled Come Holy Spirit. And so what we've been doing over the past few weeks is that we've been, we've been looking at the first few, pa- uh, first few chapters of the book of Acts to see what does it look like when the Holy Spirit comes in power. What does it look like when the Spirit of Jesus descends on the followers of Jesus and sends them out to advance the kingdom of Jesus in his world? Now, remember what we said last week about the Holy Spirit. We said that the Holy Spirit is the power and the presence of God living inside of us. And that's what you see throughout the book of Acts. The power and the presence of God, the power that spoke the universe into existence, that power that was out there is now in here. He's come and he's made his home in our hearts. The, the, the breath of God is now filling our lungs. But the book, the book of Acts isn't the first time that you see the Holy Spirit in Scripture. In fact, if you, if you read the Bible, you see the Spirit showing up over and over and over again. And, and one of the primary things the Spirit does is that he creates. He gives life. So from the very beginning, the spirit of God is the spirit of life. He's the spirit who brings order out of chaos. He's the spirit who shines light into the darkness. He's the spirit who brings life out of death. Let me show you that. Genesis chapter 1, very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, this idea of hovering is really interesting. It's actually the same Hebrew word that's used for a hen brooding over her chicks, kind of hovering over her nest. In other words, what's happening is that the Spirit of God is incubating creation. He's preparing to give birth, to give life to creation. And then, Genesis 1-3, God speaks. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God speaks creation into existence by the power of his word and his spirit. And then millennia later, when God wants to bring a new creation, when God wants to rescue us from our sin, when he wants to bring life out of death, when he wants to speak light into the darkness, it's the spirit that does it again. Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the Christmas story. The angel Gabriel speaking to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit hovers over Mary, causes her to conceive Jesus, the one who's going to bring the new creation into the world. And then you keep reading the story, and Jesus grows up, and he lives the truly human life. He shows us what it means to be a human being created in the image of God, and then he dies in our place for our sins, and he rises again, and he promises, I'm going to make all things new. And you ask, well, how are you going to do that, Jesus? Well, it's the passage we looked at a few weeks ago. He's going to begin it with Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's actually the same word that Luke used in Luke 1.35. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so here's what's happening. As the Holy Spirit came upon Mary to bring new life to the world, now the Holy Spirit comes on the followers of Jesus to bring new life to the world. As the Holy Spirit caused the word to be made flesh in the womb of Mary, now the Holy Spirit is causing the word to become flesh in the hearts of God's people. 
As the Holy Spirit caused the Son of God to be born with a human body, now the Holy Spirit is causing the church to be born as the body of Christ and sending us out into the world as sons and daughters of God. That's why we're looking right now at the book of Acts as a church, because we need to see that we do not build the church. Jesus builds the church by the power of his spirit. We do not create the church. The spirit of God creates the church. We do not bring life to the world. The Holy Spirit gives us life and then sends us out to bring life to the world through the word that he has given us. And so as we step into the future that God has for us as Christ Community Church, we we need to know that what God wants to do is something bigger than any of us can possibly imagine. He doesn't just want to build a religious institution through us. He wants us to join him in his mission of bringing new life to the world. He wants to give us life by the power of his spirit and his word. And he wants to send us out to Chautauqua County and Western New York and to the ends of the earth with the power and presence and life-giving word of Jesus that makes all things new. So the question before us as we step into the future God has for us is not what are we going to do to build this church? The question is, how does the Holy Spirit build a church? What what does it practically look like when the Spirit creates the church? And then how do the people of the risen Jesus live in light of this risen hope that we just sang about? And that's what you see in this passage today, Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 41. So here's what's happened. Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. He has poured out his spirit on his followers. He has sent them out to proclaim the good news. Peter stands. He preaches this sermon in the streets of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And then this happens, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This this is what the Holy Spirit creates in the followers of Jesus. This is what marked their lives as the people of the risen Jesus. Their lives were marked by three primary things we see in this passage. Their lives were marked by community, consistency, and commitments. Community, consistency, commitments. First, community. Community. Look Look at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, this is really important because this goes against the grain of our Western individualistic culture. See, we tend to think that Christianity is all about my relationship with Jesus, and that's part of it. That is a wonderful and glorious and indispensable part of it, but that is not all there is. Because the fact is, Jesus didn't just die for me, and he didn't just die for you. He died for us. The scriptures say that Jesus died to rescue a people, that he is building a new community, that he is building his church, that he is building a new human family who lives the fully human life that he has created them for. And that means that following Jesus is not something we do in isolation. It's something we do in community. That's why it says here, it doesn't just say that they were baptized. It says, verse 41, they were baptized and they were added to their number. 
In other words, they, they joined the church. They became part of the community of Jesus because that's where you live out the reality of the gospel in everyday life. Esau Macaulay says it this way. He says, our most deeply held beliefs are not merely shouted publicly. They are lived out among family, friends, and communities. These are the places where doctrines like grace, justice, hope, and perseverance become flesh. That's what the church is. The church is the place where our beliefs become flesh. See, see, I can say that I love Jesus, but do I love his people? I, I can say that I love God, but do I love God's children? See, it is, it is easy. One of the easiest things in the world is to say that you love God. It's a lot harder to love human beings who have been created in the image of God. Because, because here's what we tend to do. We tend to reshape God. We tend to remake God in our own image. So we come up with whatever idea of God feels good to us. We craft a God who loves what we love and hates what we hate and plays by our rules and tells us what we want to hear. And frankly, it's easy to love someone like that because that's just a projection of yourself. But, but what about that person who grates on your last nerve? What about that person who drives you crazy? What about that person who sees things differently from you and takes every opportunity to tell you about it? What, ab what about when it costs you something? That's where you find out how real the gospel is to you. Practically, this is, this is one of the reasons we practice church membership here at Christ Community Church. And it's one of the reasons we encourage you to find a church, even if it's not this church, to find a church that teaches the gospel and to plant your life there. Because our society trains us to be self-absorbed. Our culture disciples us to think only about ourselves. We, we don't know how to commit to anything. And, and I say this as a guy who, like, I'll turn on Netflix, and I will scroll endlessly for 45 minutes until I can find something to watch, and then I don't find anything, and I just turn it off, and I go to bed. Like, I can't even commit to watching a movie. We miss out, though, right? We miss out because we don't know how to commit. And, and even if we do commit to something, what happens is we commit to it as long as it meets our expectations, and when it fails to live up to our expectations, we bounce to the next thing. And for many of us, what happens is that we miss out on the richness that could have come from deep, meaningful belonging. And so joining the church is one of those ways that you swim against the tide of our society. It's that way where we plant our lives in a community where we live out the gospel with other real people. And we say, it's not just about me. I'm going to commit myself to loving these real flesh and blood people around me. I'm not just committing myself to loving the idea of other people. I'm going to love these people in this place, right here, right now. And I'm not running away when it doesn't meet my expectations or when it gets messy or when it gets uncomfortable because Jesus loved me when it was uncomfortable. Jesus loved me when it got messy. Jesus loved me when I failed to live up to his expectations. Jesus loved me when it cost him his life. And so I'm going to love my brothers and sisters the way that Jesus has loved me. It's the first mark of the people of Jesus, community. And then second, closely related to that, second mark, consistency. Consistency. Look at verse 42, just this first phrase, and they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. In other words, they gave themselves. They didn't just do it when they felt like it. They didn't just do it when it was easy or when it was exciting or when it was epic. They, they devoted themselves to God and to one another day in and day out. Again, our culture teaches us to live for the high to live for the moment, to live for the experience. We, we have movies about celebrating that moment of falling in love. 
But we ignore the decades of faithfulness and self-sacrifice that go into real love. And that's not just true in our culture. That is true in the way that we think about the church as well. Always looking for the next moment. Always looking for the next adrenaline rush. Always looking for the next mountaintop experience. In fact, that's actually part of the spiritual biography of the church in Western New York. It's actually part of our history. Last year, uh, I read this obscure, out-of-print book. It's called The Burnover District, written in 1950 by this historian named Whitney Cross. And it's all about the history of religion in, in Western New York in the early 1800s. I know you're on the edge of your seat. It sounds riveting, but <laughs> it's what nerds do for fun. Uh, but here's where the phrase comes from, burned over district. Charles Finney, probably one of the most famous preachers in American history, certainly in the 1800s, um, famous preacher of the Second Great Awakening who would go from town to town preaching these revival messages. Um, he called Western New York the burn over district. And the reason he said it was this. He said in the early 1800s, you had all of these revivalist preachers before Finney who came through Western New York, and these guys were basically trying to be hype men for Jesus. And so they would ride into a town. They'd put on the best show they could find. They would manipulate the emotions of the people. They would make them think there's this great move of the Holy Spirit going on. And they would take their money and ride out of town. No follow-up. No consistency, no deep-rooted, vibrant commitment to a community of faith. And because of that, there was no lasting fruit. And, and it's not like all these guys were crooks. Many of them believed in what they were doing. But when you've experienced that kind of religious hype that many times, without any rooted, lasting change, what happens is that you tend to get cynical. And, and that's what happened. And so, so Finney looked at, at Western New York, and he said it's like the soil has been burned over in Western New York, and nothing will grow there. Now, obviously, that's a bit of an overstatement, but it does feel that way sometimes, doesn't it? And, and I'll be honest with you. I am praying that God would change that. I am crying out every day that God would revitalize the soil of the burn over district. I am praying, and I invite you to pray with me, that he would soften it, and that he would revitalize it, and that he would plant the seed of the gospel in it, and that he would cause it to bear fruit like we don't even think is possible around here, fruit that we can't even imagine. I am praying for spiritual breakthrough in Chautauqua County, and I believe that the Lord works that way sometimes, and I believe that we need him to work that way. But also what I want us to see is that that doesn't come through hype. That doesn't come through a burst of adrenaline. That doesn't come through the next cool gimmick or even the next spiritual high. Because frankly, in Western New York, we've already tried that. Even when God does something miraculous, even when he does an Acts 2 day of Pentecost thing, what it produces is not one spiritual high after the next. What it produces is a community of Jesus followers who are devoted to God and are devoted to one another in the daily grind of life. The longer I live, the more I believe that following Jesus, that, that ex truly experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit looks like what Eugene Peterson simply called a long obedience in the same direction. God, give us a long, by the power of your spirit, give us a long obedience in the same direction. Doesn't typically look like a spiritual high. It can at times, but it doesn't always look that way, and usually it doesn't look that way. It never looks like hype. What it looks like is plodding, slowly putting one foot in front of the other, following Jesus on the road to the cross. Looks like falling down and getting back up and stumbling along on the Calvary Road and doing it together as the people of the risen king. 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit creates a church. The Spirit creates a community. He creates consistency. Finally, third thing he creates, he creates commitments. Commitments. The, the, the church is not just a community organization. We're, we're not just a group of people who like hanging out together. We're committed to something bigger. We're committed to something cosmic. We are committed to something that the Spirit of God is doing in the world. We devote ourselves to these core commitments that the Spirit of God is leading us into. Look at, look at these core commitments. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So how, how did they devote themselves to God? How did they devote themselves to one another? They did it by devoting themselves to these things. They devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching. Now, that's foundational. It was the preaching, like Acts 2, it was the preaching of the apostles that started the church, and their teaching was the foundation for the church. Remember what we saw back in Genesis chapter 1. God creates by his spirit and his word. The two always go together. The spirit creates and builds and grows a church through the word of God. And so that's what they devoted themselves to. Like, they didn't just study the apostles' teaching. They didn't just listen to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to it. They gave themselves to it. They lived under it. They built their lives on it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, the word fellowship doesn't simply mean getting together and eating too much, although uh, that can be a beautiful part of it. It, it, means, it means that you share life together. It means that the church is not just a religious event you attend one day a week. It's a family that loves and serves and lives life together. As, as Jesus has given himself to us, we give ourselves to one another. And one of the primary expressions you see of that is the next thing, the breaking of bread. They, they were eating their meals together. In the ancient world, living life together meant eating together. That was one of the expressions of a shared life. It was actually one of the primary ways that Jesus ministered to people. It's fascinating. Sometimes read, read the book of Luke. Gospel of Luke, um, Luke shows Jesus all over the place, and like everywhere Jesus goes, he's eating. He's at a party with people, eating with people. That was one of the reasons the religious leaders hated him. They said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Man, thank God for that, right? Thank God that Jesus welcomes sinners like you and me and eats with us. And so the breaking of bread for them didn't just mean having a barbecue together. It mean they devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is a reminder that Jesus has welcomed us. And because of that, now we welcome one another. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The prayers. Now, now remember, it's the spirit of Jesus that creates the church. We are dependent on him to give us life and to sustain our life. So what that means is that we cannot treat prayer as a last resort. We cannot treat prayer as a mere perfunctory formality. Prayer is our lifeline. And it's interesting if you look at the language here in verse 42. Luke doesn't just say they devoted themselves to prayer. He says they devoted themselves to the prayers. He's talking about the Psalms there. The, the, the Psalms were the prayer book of the early church. The Psalms were how the spirit of Jesus taught the people of Jesus how to pray. It doesn't mean that they just parroted the Psalms, but it does mean that the Psalms, that the prayers of scripture were the foundation for their prayers. They learned to pray by praying the Psalms. 
In a few weeks, we're going to be at the end of of Acts chapter 4, and we're going to look at this magnificent prayer that the church prays after Peter and John are arrested. But if you actually pay attention to what happens in this prayer, they're actually praying Psalm 2, and they're applying it to their situation. So let me encourage you to do that, especially like most of us, if you find it difficult to pray. Go to the scriptures. Look at the prayers, of the, look at the Psalms, look at the letters of Paul, look at the Lord's Prayer that we looked at a few months ago, and let the Spirit teach you how to pray through these great prayers of Scripture. It's one of the things we do together every week. I don't know if you know this, but, but every week a group of us pray together at 11 a.m. over in the Activity Center for midweek prayer. And when we pray for the needs of our community, we pray for the needs of our church, and, and we always, before we go into prayer, we, we, we read a prayer from the scriptures to help focus and direct our prayers because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to teach the people of God to pray. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That, that's what they did. And then look what God did. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I love this. Like, they didn't do anything extraordinary. They devoted themselves to what seemed like very ordinary things. Scripture, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, the prayers. But the Lord did supernatural things through them. He showed that his kingdom was breaking in. Now, we can't force that to happen. We can't engineer that. We can't fabricate that. But we can pray for it. And we can be faithful to devote ourselves to what Jesus has called us to devote ourselves to. God's spirit was moving in power. And and look at the kind of community he made them. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And that might be the greatest miracle of all. These people who came from all different backgrounds, people who previously had nothing to do with each other, learned to love each other like family. And they didn't just say they loved each other, they actually put their money where their mouth is. When the Holy Spirit comes in power, he creates a people of radical generosity. The radical generosity of God caused them to be radically generous toward one another. They were united in Christ. They shared a common life. So it only made sense that they would share their possessions when there was someone who had a need. And verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor for all the, with all the people. They were committed to worship. That you see there, they were committed to worshiping together. And then how did the Lord work? Look at the end of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And that's a beautiful passage. Like, they didn't add to their number. They didn't build the church. They didn't make it happen. They simply committed themselves to Jesus and to one another. They lived lives devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers and radical generosity and worshiping together. And they welcomed other people in as the Lord was doing what only he could do. Doing signs and wonders through them, adding to their number those whom he was drawing to himself. And I am convinced that what we as a church need as we step into the mission God has for us here in Western New York is not some innovative strategy or some adrenal hype. We need a community that is consistently committed to these seemingly very ordinary things. 
And we need God to do extraordinary things that only he can do through us. Jesus calls us as a church to commit to these things. And he calls us as individuals to commit to these things. And so let let me just encourage you, as you're looking at this passage throughout this week, take inventory. Be honest with yourself. Examine your life. Where is Jesus calling me to press into these commitments? Where is the Spirit inviting me to grow? Maybe it's by devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching. Maybe that means simply getting on a Bible reading plan or a Bible listening plan or rebooting that one that you started back in January that fell off after a week. And it just means like you get back up and you try it again. Maybe that means simply memorizing and meditating our key verse each week. Maybe that means committing to serve in square one as we look to reboot square one so that we can pass the apostles' teaching on to the next generation. So maybe it's the apostles' teaching. Maybe the Spirit is calling you to recommit to fellowship. That might be a big one for us right now as our world starts to open back up, as we're able to start spending more time with each other. Maybe it's time to invite someone over. Maybe it's time to grab lunch or to grab coffee with someone. I mean, like, what a great time to press into community. And and let me just encourage you, don't just do this with the people that you already know. Don't just do this with the people that you're comfortable with. Don't just do this with the people who think just like you. Like, can we be honest for a minute? Like, our world is really fractured right now. And even in the church, we disagree about a lot of things. But you know what? That was true in the early church as well. The the early disciples of Jesus came from all over the place, all over the political spectrum. The day of Pentecost, you literally had a former government official, Matthew the tax collector, and a former terrorist, Simon the zealot, preaching the gospel as apostles of Jesus side by side. Two men who would have hated each other at one point in their lives, but they had been reconciled through Christ. They shared a common life in Christ. They were family because they had the same father and the same older brother and the same spirit living inside of them. Friends, we have an opportunity to be an agent of healing in this divided world. The church should be a place where people who otherwise wouldn't have anything to do with each other love each other like family. Where people who otherwise hate each other or at best avoid each other share a common life together. And maybe the healing in our country can start as we commit ourselves to fellowship. Maybe it's the fellowship. Maybe you need to devote yourself to the prayers. Maybe this just means like scheduling a regular prayer time in your calendar each day. Even if it's like five to ten minutes and you just put it in your calendar and it sets up a reminder. Maybe it's just carving out enough time to read a psalm and to pray a psalm. Maybe it means joining us for midweek prayer. We would love to have you join us in the activity center Wednesdays at 11. Maybe it means calling yourself to devote yourself to generosity. Maybe it means opening up your hands and sharing financial resources with people in need through our elders fund. Maybe it means giving to Christ Community Church so that we can see the gospel continue to advance throughout Chautauqua County and Western New York. Maybe it's as simple as there's someone in your neighborhood who has a need and you've got an opportunity to meet their financial needs. Maybe it's a missionary that God is calling you to support. Look, I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I can't tell you exactly what that looks like in your life. But what I know is that you and I have experienced the radical generosity of Jesus. And he wants to make us radically generous people like him. Maybe, maybe God's calling you to recommit to worshiping with the body of Christ. Like, it's true. Like, you can worship while you're on a hike in the woods. You can worship while you're out on the lake. You can even worship on the golf course. 
Although in my experience, my words aren't very worshipful on the golf course. But you can do all these different things and you can receive these things as good gifts from God. But there is something special. There is something powerful when we come together as the body of Christ. Because the fact is, the spirit doesn't just dwell in me. And he doesn't just dwell in you. He dwells in us. I individually am not the body of Christ. We together collectively are the body of Christ. And so when we come together as the people of Jesus, we experience the presence of Jesus in more real and tangible ways than any other place on earth. So let me just encourage you. Just just look over this passage this week. Where does Jesus want to grow you? Where does the Holy Spirit want to increase your devotion to Jesus and his people? And as you do that, don't do it out of a sense of guilt or a sense of shame or even a sense of self-righteousness. We do not do these things as a way to earn God's grace. We do these things as a way to experience God's grace. We do these things as a way to experience the breath of God filling our lungs. Because at the end of the day, our hope is not based on our commitment to Jesus. Our hope is based on Jesus' commitment to us. And that's what we celebrate in the breaking of bread. That's what we're going to celebrate in the Lord's Supper. Just as they did this 2,000 years ago, we're going to devote ourselves to it. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper because this meal is a reminder that Jesus was committed to us long before we were committed to him. He gave himself to us long before we gave ourselves to him. He took our sin and our shame and our guilt on himself, and he died in our place to forgive us our sins and to bring us home to the dinner table. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so let's remember that now. If you're trusting in Jesus, not trusting in your devotion to Jesus, if you're trusting in Jesus' devotion to you, if you're trusting in his death and resurrection to bring you home to the dinner table, then let's eat and let's drink together today. And, And if you're not trusting in him, let me just invite you just to take this moment to be honest with yourself. Like, what's keeping me from coming to the table and eating with Jesus? What's keeping me from trusting the one who died and rose again to give me life? And so if you've got questions about that, if you want to explore what that means, we'd love to speak with you after the service. All right, let's take the, the elements of the Lord's Supper. If you don't have one, there's some on the welcome table back there. Um, so we've got this cup here. Let's just peel off this top, top layer of cellophane, take out that wafer of bread. Scriptures tell us that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat and remember Jesus. Scriptures tell us in the same way, after they had eaten, he took the cup, and he poured it out, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink and remember Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we, as we taste this, this bread and this, and this juice on our tongues, You give us a tangible reminder of your love for us, of your commitment to us, of your devotion to us. Long before we were devoted to you, long before we loved you, you loved us. 
And so we thank you for your grace. We thank you that, that you've pursued us. We thank you that you welcome sinners and eat with them. That we don't have to pretend, that we don't have to play games with you, that we don't have to somehow earn your favor or earn your love. You've simply poured out your love on us through the cross to draw us to yourself, to make us your children. And you didn't just, you didn't just forgive our sins, but you brought us home to the dinner table. And you didn't just bring us to yourself. You gave us a family. You gave us brothers and sisters in Christ to devote ourselves to and who are devoted to us. And so we thank you for your people. We thank you for the people of the risen King. We thank you that the Holy Spirit has created your church, that he created your church 2,000 years ago, that he created Christ's community church, and that he's continuing to create us, that he's continuing to do his work in us. And so we pray that you would continue to do that. God, I confess that, that so often I just... I go to one side or the other. So often, sometimes my, my Christianity can just become about the things that I do, just doing these practices without a sense of your spirit with me. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us a sense of your spirit with us. And then sometimes on the other extreme, I don't devote myself to these things. And I, I just, just expect that it's always going to be easy. I pray that you would help us to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and, and radical generosity, and worshiping together, and welcoming new people into this community that you are building. God, would you do it? We pray. We want to devote ourselves to these things, but we pray that you would do what only you can do in continuing to build your church. We pray it for your glory in the name of Jesus. Thirdly, our key verse this week is that Acts 2.42 picture of the, uh, of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so let me just encourage you, again, take that this week and chew on it and think about it. And don't just think about it as words, but think about what's the Spirit saying to me about how I, I need to live uh, in light of that. I'm going to send you out with a benediction. Let's stand and receive this. This benediction, this word of blessing, this is based on 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Now may the grace of Christ, which daily renews us, and the love of God, which enables us to love all, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which unites us in one body, make us eager to obey the will of God until we meet again through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Peace be with you. Have a great week.